Yes, hello folks, welcome to the Weekly Matches Now podcast. I'm your host as always, Phil Brown. Second one of the season so far during the pre-season tour. Of course, uh, this is the day after the Wrexham game was at Wrexham last night. Disappointing result. However, there may be one or two positives you can take from that. Um, you might be wondering what. I'll get to that in a little bit. Um, we'll talk about, of course, the Arsenal game, some of the reaction from some of the Arsenal fans, uh, the, the intensity that it showed in that game. And of course, United are off to Vegas this weekend, as will I, to see, of course, United in Dortmund. And also, just so happens to be a wonderful big fight in Vegas, Vance v Crawford, which I will be going to as well. So really looking forward to that. Um, well, I will be going if my colleague Cal McLuhan comes through for me. So you'll find out on the next podcast whether he's a real friend of mine or not. You know, these are the moments you find out who your friends are. So if he can't come up with at least two tickets... For the Spence Crawford fight, we're going to have to reevaluate our relationship. <laughs> so hopefully he's listening to this. Um, but uh, we'll talk a lot about, of course, the um, transfers that we've had so far, which has been really encouraging. Some of you needed both in and out. Um, some more good news to come, I would imagine, in the very near future. Rod Hogg's comments were quite telling about the urgency with which he needs a striker. Um, and to be fair, United have been quite active on that front. Um, we talk about, of course, some of the other positives from the tour. Cubby Manu being one of them. Very, very encouraging, very composed performance against Arsenal, um, against Declan Rice, of course, and a heavily uh, expansive, uh, expansively constructed Arsenal team. I thought he showed tremendous composure. And yes, pre-season friendly, but it's pre-season for Cubby too. Um, you know, that won't be his peak performance. He's still trying to find fitness. He's a young kid that got injured last year. Clearly someone that is uh, in Ten Hag's plans. I thought that was evident after the League Cup final where he spent a lot of time talking to Cubby about observing what was going on with the celebrations and seemed to me like it was a Mandarin talk about this is going to be your future. Um, and I think there's, there's one thing about the Dutch, especially if you're an Ajax coach, is they know how to spot talent um, of that ilk. You know, there's a ball playing midfielder that um, you know, plays in the half spaces, Brilliant from transition, playing out from the back um, and, and creating going forward. I uh, thought he was exceptional against Arsenal. And look, yeah, as we said, you can say it's pre-season, but you can't play your way into a team unless you play well in pre-season. It's not a guarantee that you will, you know, like a good pre-season will get you into a team, but a bad pre-season definitely won't. So um, very, very encouraging from Cabby. Uh, I will talk about some of the other potentials, of course, um, Sofian Amrabat, uh, very encouraging that United are looking at him. Of course, the young Danish striker Rasmus Hoyland, who scored the same number of goals as Julian Alvarez last season, uh, except Julian Alvarez played one game more and arguably the best team in world football. So plenty of encouragement there for Hoyland. Um, uh, I think United will get that one over the line. As I said on last week's podcast, I would be absolutely astonished if United did not send a striker this summer. Um, I think it's almost certain that they will, and I think that will be Rasmus Hoyland. They have looked at other options, as is correct to do so. Kula Moane, um, partly because Kula Moane is a very, very good striker, very highly rated by other people around world football and it is very important that United as they attempt to address this perception that they always overpay that they're you know inept that they, they, they don't have any 
and intelligent acumen in business negotiations and transfer negotiations, which to be fair, was a legitimate allegation in the past. Um, I, I think you'd have to be honest and say that United, in the way they've gone about their business so far, have been quite smart and quite intelligent. Um, they've got good deals. Takes pressure off the players too when they're coming in for a transfer fee that's not going to hang over their head that they're going to be confidently reminded of. And also when you look at the way they're structuring contracts and what have you, and you look at the players that they're signing, since Ten Hag came in, not just this season, but even last season, you're talking about players that really want to play for Manchester United. So they're coming for all the right reasons. They're coming because they want to play for a football club, because they want to be successful. People laughed at Onana saying that uh, he wanted to win the Champions League. Well, why, why, what's wrong with that? Chelsea won it a couple of years ago. Why can't United? Um, you know, so should he turn around and say, no, I'm just here for the money? It's encouraging to me to see players come with that type of mindset, that they are coming to make United better, to win trophies, to win the biggest trophies in world football. And that is something that absolutely United should be targeting. Um, Johnny Evans, of course, back on a short-term deal. Um, from what I understand, it's very possible that he could be kept on, um, almost in a mentoring role. I think, what are they, Johnny, 35? Um, you look at someone like Thiago Silva, He's playing about 36, 37 at, at Chelsea centre back. So, you know, if Danny could come in on an emergency basis, help mentor some of the young, younger players, um, I think it's uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, so, um, you know, probably also with the fact that Maguire is probably 50 50 at this point, um, whether he'll leave or not, maybe 60 40 that he will. Um, I'll talk about my. my, my my views on that and what I've heard and what have you in a little bit in this podcast. But first of all, um, United v Arsenal. I'll do a quick uh, analysis on that. United play Arsenal in the first four games of the season. I think it's the third game away from home. And United's third game last season was Liverpool at home. They played Liverpool in pre-season and beat them 4-0. And everyone dismissed that as, well, it's pre-season. And to be fair, I think that was that was understandable. But in many ways, it was a propodetic. It was something that um, gave a little indication of what was to come. And I don't know if United players took confidence from that in the league game. Obviously, they didn't have a good start. Um, but uh, I, 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 I don't know. Maybe it wasn't insignificant. And I think... As people quite often say, there was no friendlies against United Arsenal. If you look at the United Arsenal Community Shield game, which often does the round on Twitter, which is essentially a pre-season friendly, it was filled with intensity. It was filled with hard tackles. It was filled with physicality. It's a bit surprised to see Arsenal fans complain about that today. Um, and truthfully, what they should be complaining about is, is they should be directing that anger towards their own team because... We've seen the Troy Deeney clip, and it's well known that Arsenal can be bullied. They don't often match physicality. Now, I don't know if that's still true today, but that's always been a reputation they've found hard to shift, and sometimes it's been an earned reputation. I just felt that United wanted it more. Um, you know, they, they, they played very well, they deserved it, and I want to see United go into pre season right now. With intensity, I don't want to see you start like they had last season. That Brentford game and that Brighton game, 
if you looked at United last season coming up to qualifying for the Champions League, I mean, they took it to the wire almost, and those two games were costly. Had United have started differently, no, then the, the Champions League would have been wrapped up long before. So for me, I think very important you know, to start fast, start well, with some difficult games in the beginning. And if you lose those first couple of games, it can be very difficult to reverse it. And Hag was able to do that last season by bringing in new players, by bringing in Casemiro, by bringing in Anthony, and of course he'd, he'd already signed Ericsson, Martinez, and Terrell Malassia. But those two big players, you know, uh, produced a shift for him. It'd be very, very difficult if he had started the first few games bad to see what Ten Hag could do to radically change the United trajectory. So this is going to be a tough start. So it's really, really important that United start these games, play these games in pre-season with intensity to be ready to start the season. Uh, it's also very important, like we've said before, for young players to take this opportunity to try to force their way into the manager's plans. You know, when you're a young player and you're playing for Manchester United, it's not just about ability. It's about all the intangibles. It's about how do you deal with pressure? How do you play with other people? Do you fit the do you fit the formation? Do you fit the static? Can you deal with the moment? Can you deal with the scrutiny? These are the things you don't know until you give a young player a chance. Are you someone that needs to be loaned out? I was listening to um, Andy Mitten's podcast on the way down to San Diego and he was interviewing Facundo Palestri and it appears that Facundo Palestri has been told he's going to be loaned out um, by Ten Hag. So, you know, I don't know if that's a good sign because, you know, this is what, his third loan. He's not a bad young player, but by this stage, you know, I'd be concerned for him. Hopefully he goes out and has a really good loan. I mean, clearly... He's a very good young player. He's already playing for Uruguay. Um, and he did show some great moments last season when he came on. Remember that Leeds game? He came on and played very well. So uh, hopefully he gets a move and it works out for him. But Garnacho is such an exceptional talent that he doesn't need to go that route. Um, will Kabi Manu be one of those kids that does need to go that route? Uh, I think what you saw to move on to the Wrexham game is and some of the commentary about this annoys me because anyone that's played football anyone will know that to make it at any level in professional football you have to be very very good exceptional and a lot of the players those kids will have played against last night will have been in premier league academies will have been exactly where those kids were at at 18 17 but for whatever reason they didn't make it at a Premier League academy, which is very, very difficult. I've asked players that have played Premier League football, what's the difference between a Premier League player and, say, a League One player, League Two championship player? And the answer that consistently comes up is consistency. Consistency is one of the hardest things to accomplish in life because human beings are affected by so many variables. They're affected by their personal relationships, by their physiology, by their biology, by their mental health, by injuries, by you know the vicissitudes of life that affect every human being and makes it very, very difficult to perform optimally every week. Some people can do this, but it's very few. And inevitably you get players with exceptional talent that aren't consistent for all those reasons. Many of these reasons that they're not their own fault. 
domestic situations. You know, uh, you look at the Dali Ali situation, perfect example. You don't know what people are dealing with in their personal life. But as we see in the FA Cup every year, on any given day, any team can raise their game and win against a so-called better team. Those United kids, most of them won't make it at United. Most of them won't make it at top level in football because it is so difficult. Oh, that is because it's so difficult. Um, so, and I, I, if you remember what Ten Hag said about a week or two ago about the young players on tour, if we get another one or two that emerges that can play in the first team in the same way Granato has, that's a success. And that's exactly what youth teams are there to do. You're not there to get a youth team together that wins the FA Youth Cup, but cleans up, that's a very good team, but none of those players are individually good enough to go on and become a professional or, or play for Manchester United. Because there's two things you need to have to do with those young kids. And they've been doing it a little better. But one, they either have to get them into the first team, which I think if you looked at some of those players last night, like I think you could see that Babri really benefited from his loan at Birmingham. Physically, he wasn't intimidated. He would get kicked all over the field. And he was still asking for the ball. Um, showed maturity. He showed, he showed skill. He's got lovely feet, balance. I still think it'd be, I really hope United don't sell him. Um, I would hope that if they were going to move him on, it would be one more loan at the top level. Because I still think there's an exceptional player. But if they don't make it into United's first team, the other thing they United have to do, that City have done, that Chelsea have done, that United's rivals have done really, really well, is that they have to sell them, just like they did with Alanga. Where if you're not good enough to make it here, we're going to get 15, 20 million for you. You know, City sold Shea Charles to Southampton. I don't think he played a first team game yet. Um, what was it set 15 minutes, 16 minutes? Um, so I think. And, and of course, this supplements your transfer kitty. You look at the way Chelsea do this. They've been doing this forever. The young players in our academy that don't make it get sold on, sometimes for really decent fees. This is something United have to be better about. They have to be better about when they sell, knowing when they sell, and moving these players on. So the benefit from last night will be, it, it, you know, we've seen how good Dangor is, we've seen how good Mabry is. So if one or two of these players emerges, and they would be better for this experience last night to the first team, and potentially first team players, Gerardo maybe, uh, or Fernandez maybe. Um, that's a success. That's all you can hope for. Some of those other kids go out on loan. Some of those other kids won't make it. You look at some of the squad United have brought here in the past. And I was looking at some of them and the young players that, that, that comprise some of those squads. 99% of them never made it. And that'll be the same here. The level is so high. What I will criticize last night is I feel that more should have been done to communicate to fans that United were going to put out essentially an under 23 squad. The tickets last night weren't cheap. And I had American friends of mine who brought their kids down to San Diego from where I live. It's a two-hour drive, so four hours there and back in a car. It's not terrible, but it's not down the street either. I didn't get in last night. I came straight home from San Diego. I didn't get in last night uh, midnight. 
you know, so, okay, kids are off on school nowadays, but the Americans that brought their kids had no idea that United were playing an under-23 squad. And I couldn't find that advertised anywhere. And I think when you're asking people to sell out a few hundred notes for a ticket, that should be advertised. I mean, even my 10-year-old was disappointed. He's like, where's Casemiro? Where's, you know, Aunt Neolis? Okay, he enjoyed the experience, but I can't take him to Vegas. For obvious reasons. I don't want to see the debauchery I got up to, but anyway. Uh, anyway, uh, but seriously, um, I just think more should have been done. I remember in 2004, when United played in the US, so, you know, almost 20 years ago, and United got heavily criticised then for the squad that they brought, which was still comprised of a decent amount of first-team players, was right after the Euros. And United ended up flying out Van Nistelrooy and a couple of others to play. I think I remember correctly, they flew out Van Nistelrooy, Saha, Scholes to play against Milan in New York because they were being heavily criticised about bringing playing players that really were not serious contenders for United first team players with essentially score fillers. Now, obviously United have a, a culture of playing young players, and that's fine. But when you're asking people to pay exorbitant amounts of money, that type of thing should be advertised. That, you know, for the people that are legacy fans or whatever you want to call them, people like myself, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, will have been aware that United were going to play young kids. Um, because you know we're consumed by Manchester United, we're listening to podcasts, we're heavily involved in the community. That's not reality for most people. Um, another thing I was quite surprised about was how many Wrexham fans there was there last night, which again illustrates the power of celebrity and the power of marketing. Um, Ryan Reynolds, of course, leveraging his, um, his celebrity, and Rob McElhenney leveraging the celebrity, and the Amazon documentary, uh, and they were quite well promoted last night, to be fair. Uh, they had fan tents and um, a lot of fan engagement stuff, which was really, really good. And to be fair, um, other than the ticket prices, I think Rob McElhenney and um, Ryan Manos have done an exceptional job with Wrexham for many different reasons. One, I think it illustrates you don't need to buy a Premier League club to get the emotional highs of sport. The emotional highs that they've experienced getting promoted from their Vanarama League, I believe it was. Will have been analogous to anything that people have experienced winning the Champions League. Um, two, I think they uh, immersed themselves in the local community to understand the culture of the club, what was important. They've always been available. They've 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 um, valued uh, local contribution. They haven't come in and changed the colour of the shirts or changed things that really matter to fans. Uh, changed things that you know, that. that, that are part of the reason why they fall in love with their identity of the football club. I think they've shown you can come from America or Canada or wherever you come from or any part of the world and be accepted as long as you respect local culture, values, as long as you respect the identity of the club and you show a duty occur to the club. Um, I think in many ways are an example of how to do ownership. They've also helped promote other teams in the league. And hopefully, they've helped attract other potential buyers to clubs at lower levels who are invested in the experience, invested in the community, invested in what it means to be a football, uh, the owner of a football club, and hopefully bring about 
some cultural change with how owners are looked at um, because those lads are absolutely loved by the local community as they should be. Um, but um, other than that, you know, I think um, positives, negatives, and uh, I am looking forward to the game this weekend in Vegas where it's going to be ridiculously hot and um, it'll be another test for United against the Dortmund side. Marcel Sabitzer is in that Dortmund team. Uh, it'd be good to see Marcel again who I thought done very well for United last season on loan. Um, I think it was entirely appropriate and United didn't sign him um, because as good as he was I don't think he was quite good enough to where you would invest in him permanently. Um, but definitely someone that, that, that added value and played an important role when he came in to United. Um, obviously, some of the other potential signings we're looking at is um, Sofran Ambabat. And you know, they do quite like him. One of the things that encourages me about the likes of Ambabat, Onana, um, Mason Mount, Rasmus Hoyland, players like that, is these are clearly players that have been identified as a result of proper football analysis by scouting people, by a, by a technical director, by a manager. These are not commercial signings. These are not top-down signings that have been recommended by an agent and therefore they're imposed on a manager because they turn up a score, you know, um, because they give the impression that you're trying to compete. Um, I'm not against signing world-class footballers, of course. What I'm against is um, putting new rims on a car and saying, there you go, it looks great. Maybe it's a poor analogy, but you get what I'm trying to say. You can't turn up a squad with a couple of Galacticos. I remember when, when Carlos Quiroz went to Real Madrid and they had the, the coin to phrase Zidane's and Pavons. And he said, listen, if we're going to do that, the Pavons have to be the best in the world. And they have to be exceptional players because you can't have you know that massive differential in quality between a couple of superstars and five or six players that are nowhere near good enough that won't last you're going to get mutiny in the dressing room because anyone that's ever played football like you said knows exactly how this works knows how the dynamic works the better players start bullying the weaker players and then a lot of clicks start happening in the dressing room no, and there's no unity in that. There's no respect. So these are intelligent signings that are a result of, an, uh, of a process that you know are football people that know what they're doing. I mean, you go back to what Ralph Brandon said about open heart surgery. You need maybe nine, ten new players, and you need to define exactly how you want to play. So if Ten Hag gets these four players, he's already got two of them this summer, let's say Amrabat and Hoyland, that'd be nine players he's saying. That's your open heart surgeon. Look at the players he's got rid of. That's your open heart surgeon. That is Eric Ten Hag saying, this is how we want to play, and we are going to target players based on that identity. Not a mishmash of players that are set that are good at different systems. These are players that are specifically being selected because their attributes are exactly what United need um, to play the way Ten Hag wants. And that's when you can properly evaluate him. That's when you can say, how good is our Ten Hag? Because he's been given what he needs. I mean, I think Mourinho's sent 11 players. Um, 
but I'd never felt that they were players suited to the way United wanted to play. Um, this is different, and I feel like these are really sensible signings. United are not, uh, you know, if United go out this summer, if I had gone out this summer and seen two or three you know, Galacticos, if you like, you know, superstars, good, really good players, and just left the rest of the squad as it is. That would have felt great for about four or five weeks, the way it did under Falcao and Di Maria. And then reality would have set in. Instead, what they're doing is they're building something. And, you know, the icing on the top of the cake, the cherry on the top of the cake is a hurricane, is this superstar. But you don't build like that. So, obviously, there's a lot of talk about whether hurricane is available or not. Um, we all know about the unbelievable situation of Joe Lewis this morning. I don't know how that changes things at all. Surrender to Manhattan authorities, another ring of endorsement of the Premier League's fit and proper test. Um, I'm sure if you're a Spurs fan, you're extremely concerned. And this again explains why football governance is letting football fans down because these fans who love the football club will be completely uncertain about how this impacts their club. And they shouldn't have to worry about things like this. This is where the Premier League are a total embarrassment. Um, but anyway, uh, it seems that Barron are quite confident of getting him. And obviously, Daniel Levy will not want to sell to United. I understand that. Um, but I remember a similar situation happening with, and okay, it's not completely the same, um, but similar in the sense that Alderweireld when United were targeting all the world, and the talk was Daniel Levy would not sell him to United. The day before the window closed, Daniel Levy offered all the world to United for 30 million, I think it was, and Woodward said no. So, what happens if Bayern turn around and say, Well, look, if we're the only football club that you're willing to sell to, and you've already been told by your owner you have to sell, what's the incentive for us to go above? 80 million. You have to sell them. What will Daniel Levy do a day or two before the end of the window? Maybe he softens on that stance. I know there's going to be people listening to this that don't want hurricanes that think well into the future. I get that personally. I like both. You know, City wanted hurricane for a reason. To me, he would be a game changer. If United signed someone of that caliber, then I think it would be entirely realistic to say that Eric Ten Hag you're title challenger. You get a player like that in. I mean, if you'd have had Harry Kane's goals last season, it would have been in a title race. I mean, if you look at United's record, the difference between United and sitting up until that FA Cup final, I think United only lost one more game in sitting. It was the draws that done United in, the stupid goals they did in so many games. I remember the Newcastle home game, you know, the Leeds at home game, so many games. The Southampton game, you know, so many games that United battling teams weren't scoring. So frustrating. A 35-goal-a-season striker, partner in Rashford, good Lord. Um, obviously, the other positive is I really like Rasmus Horland, and I would love to see him same for United. I think he's an exceptional young striker. Uh, again, you know, a young striker that badly wants the move. It's really encouraging. PSG sniffing around him um, from 
you know, he, he from, from what I understand, you know, he's shown that he only really wants United. Now, this has been in the works for a while. He changed agents, I don't know, two months ago to Ten Hag's agent. And um, he uh, has obviously wanted to come to Manchester United for a while in personal terms. No problems, of course, that have been more or less agreed. And that just comes down to getting a reasonable fee from Atalanta, um, which I think they will get. Atalanta have already signed a replacement, the looks of things. So I think this deal will happen relatively quickly. I'd be surprised if by the next time I record, say, after the Dortmund game, it wasn't already a done deal. Um, <clears throat> as United are trying to address also, the, the perception that they're bad sellers, which to be fair, they have been. Um, they've worked very hard in getting players out. They took some criticism over Alex Tellers. But they can't accept offers they don't have. And people have to understand, and I'm sure most people listening to this do, but some don't, how football transfers work. When United want to move, or any football club want to sell a player, they'll communicate to an agent, this is where... You know, this is a price point we will sell him at. Sometimes players put in a transfer request, it's different. Sometimes clubs will inquire about a player that hasn't been made available, that's different. Then clubs can set a price. But when you're saying to an agent, you can move your client on, you're free to go ahead and offer services elsewhere. It's up to the agent to bring offers to the United. United aren't ringing around football clubs and saying, here, do you want to buy Alex Tellers? Do you know what I mean? That's not their job. So it's up to the agent to bring offers at a price point United will sell their client at. That's not always easy to do, especially when you've had a player where you can't remember his last good season and they're vastly overpaid. This is, of course, exactly what's going on with Harry Maguire. And as I've said on this before, my, my, my issue with Maguire is why... Uh, I mean, I think the fact that Maguire would expect anything other than that, than, than what's happening, the fact he's being made available and, and having the captaincy taken from him is an illustration of the lack of standards that have existed inside United forever. Because at any other top club, this would be an inevitable consequence of not performing. So why would Maguire expect anything other than this? He surely can't feel hard done by. He surely can't feel that he's been mistreated because I think United have been very good to him. Um, it's not United's fault that he hasn't been performing. It's not United's fault that he played his way out of the team. It's not United's fault that he takes grief, a lot of it on, on unfairly so and unnecessarily so, online. So I'm not quite sure what else United owe him. They stood by him over the whole situation in Greece with constantly protected him and they've done everything you could expect but Maguire also has to understand this is a transactional relationship he is being paid an enormous amount of money to put in top level performances and if those performances aren't there this applies to everyone in all walks of life in every occupation if you are being paid a certain wage it's not commensurate with your value or what you're contributing you're in danger zone because this is not a community outreach program where you get a contract and you get to keep it for life. This is about making sure you perform 
at the very highest level. And if you don't, you lose your place. You, you, you lose your weight structure. You lose all the inevitable things that come with with not performing. This is true for every single footballer, not just Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire was signed by Manchester United because he was replacing people who faced exactly the same fate. So I think for him, you know, we'll find out whether he wants to be a footballer or whether he wants to be someone that's exceptionally well played, paid sitting on the bench. Um, hopefully, for Maguire's sake, that he moves on. Uh, because I think him staying and picking up a wage would amplify resentment towards him. And he has to be able to predict that and say, listen, this is not going to do anything to rehabilitate my image amongst United fans. Maybe it's time to get a fresh start. And like I've said before, I think he could do quite well somewhere else at another football club. And um, yeah, it's, I mean, he's still what, 20, what, 29, 30. You know, if you look at, uh, like I said earlier in this podcast, like Thiago Silva, Sergio Ramos, Sergio Ramos went to PSG, what, 34? Made an enormous amount of money. Harry Maguire had one or two good seasons again. He's still a t- another one more top move in him at a very high wage if he played well. World Cup was not that far away. You know, so this is now the time. If he, ha- he like, like it's been said before, he cannot have another season like he had last season. Um, you know, he should have sold him a year ago, but there you go. Um, so we will see what happens with him, but um, I, I think you know, he could sell Maguire without having to replace him. Um, obviously, other potential moves, McTominay and Fred. We've talked about Fred in the podcast before. Fred is in a, a perfect contrast of Maguire because he is someone, same age, wants to keep his place in the Brazil team, wants to play more football, and realistically, how much football is he going to play when Mason Mount and Casemiro are fit? Bruno's fit. You know. Now your central midfielder is your captain. So that position's locked down. So you're now talking about competing for a midfield spot with Casemiro, McTominay, Ericsson, Mount. You know, realistically, how much do you want to play? So Fred will look to move on. Uh, he's got a couple of offers, whether they're at the price point, we need to think, you know, that that's analogous to his value. I don't know. Um, but uh, I think they'll get there. And he will be sold. Um, they sold the Langer, which I think is the right thing to do, absolutely. Um, I think there'll be a few more at the door, obviously, trying to move very by on. Um you know, they've been trying to do that for a while. Uh, and possibly Van der Beek. Um, you know, the, the, I think if, if someone came in with that, a relatively decent offer, he would go. Um, Van der Beek, would they replace him? Probably not, with the emergence of Cubby Mining. Um, I think you know, he would be comfortable enough there. And um, I think I want to get Cubby Mining more, more games this season. Um, and then, of course... We have a couple of others that um, could be going out with McTominay go if West Ham really are offering 40, 45 million United, we'll, we'll accept that. Um, they'd be insane not to. Uh, good player in the peak of his career. Again, a player that I think 
would do very well for West Ham. Um, but his attributes are not suited to how Ten Hag wants to play. And so I think it's the right thing for him to do. He's, a, you know, he's one of Scotland's best players. He's, he plays exceptionally well for them every week, or uh, every every game. And obviously David Moyes being Scottish will be very familiar with McTominay playing for the national team and obviously still has very good contacts at Manchester United. So um, I think he'd be a very good signing. He's a David Moyes signing. Um, I think he would do very, very well at, um, at West Ham. Um, other than that, folks, really isn't much more to talk about. Uh, I want to say big thank you to Andy Mitten. Saw him yesterday uh, at the game. Had a good chat with Andy. And, uh, got to see a few other people. Um, I hope, uh, hope everyone had enjoyed the experience down in San Diego. Um, if you are going to be in Las Vegas, drop me a DM. And uh, I think I'm going to go to the supporters convention. I'm um, getting all that worked out right now. Uh, looking forward to seeing some people out there that I haven't seen before, some I have. Um, so if you're going to be in Vegas, you're going to be about the um, the supporters convention, let me know, reach out. I uh, would love to see you. Uh, at, uh, thanks to all of you for downloading the podcast. As always, folks, I'll be back again probably on Monday. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, Monday, whatever day I get back from Vegas. Uh, Monday or Tuesday, assuming I survive Las Vegas, if this is my final words. Um, please someone delete my browser history and uh, don't believe any, any of the rumours it's all deep state nonsense um, I absolutely have not committed those crimes <laughs> enjoy your day <laughs>